Welcome to Beyond the Lines. I'm your host, Jason Davis. You can follow this podcast on Facebook at Beyond the Lines Podcast, on Instagram, Beyond the Lines Podcast, and also on Twitter at underscore Beyond the Lines. This episode is brought to you by Samify Crafts. If you're looking for that unique and special gift for a birthday, holiday, wedding, or any other event, go to SamifyCraftsShop.com. They're your one-stop shop for all your gift needs. They specialize in custom gifts at an affordable price. Not only will you find great gift ideas on SamifyCraftShop.com, you'll also find all of your Beyond the Lines podcast t-shirts, tank tops, backpacks, and water bottles. So go to SamifyCraftShop.com to order your merchandise and gifts. You can also follow them on Facebook at Samify Crafts. This is episode number 32, and today I'll be discussing the NCAA eligibility requirement decision. Does it help or hurt? Now, let's meet this episode's guest. My guest today is no stranger to the show. He's the author of 10 Principles of a Character Coach and a Division I Basketball Coach. Coach Gary Waters, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks, Jason. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you back. You're certainly not a stranger to the show, so it's always good to have you on the show. I feel like I get smarter when I talk to you. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk today about the uh, NCAA eligibility requirement decision. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about some other things. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts on Coach K and his coaching career. But before I get your opinion and your thoughts on that, I'm going to go over some of his accomplishments and just kind of get your thoughts on some of this stuff here, okay? Correct. All right. So he's been 42 years at Duke. He has 13 ACC regular season titles, 15 ACC tournament championships, 12 Final Fours, five national championships, which he's only second to John Wooden, three Olympic gold medals with the U.S. national team. He won them in 2008, 2012, and 2016. And his overall winning percentage, including tournament games, is 77%. Oh, that's unbelievable there. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Especially at the level he's playing at. That's the highest level you can play in college basketball, and he's had that much success. He's been a great ambassador for the sport. He's also been a good role model for the sport. I got to give him credit on that. He's literally uh, showed an example that many coaches can follow, and he's been consistent. He's been stable in what he's been doing. And he's been a, a great person for the game, if you want to say that. When you're at that level, people are constantly coming after you. And, <laughs> and he has continually had great programs, but they haven't got into much any trouble or much trouble, put it like that. You know, everybody has trouble, but he hasn't shown many flaws within his program, and which is a, a good thing. And in my estimation, second to Bobby Knight, the second best coach to ever coach the game of basketball. Now, you mentioned his programs haven't had much trouble over the years. Do you chalk that up to recruiting, coaching? Why is it that they haven't had much of a controversy over the number of years he's been there? Well, part of it is uh, recruiting because recruiting is the lifeblood of college basketball. More than any other sport, it's the lifeblood. The other sports, you can get away with certain things. But if you don't recruit well in college basketball, it will truly show down the line. And he's done a great job there. 
it took for a long time for them to be able to have players that didn't stay all four years because that's what they did. They stayed all four years. They graduated and they became ambassadors for uh, Duke. Now, you know, because of all the different rulings that hit, and it hit them too. The one ruling was uh, one and done. When that came in, he started losing players. Yes. So once that starts happening, you want to make sure that you're staying consistent so you can compete at the level you want to compete at, and that's hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely correct about that. And things such as the transfer portal and all that stuff that's going on. See, that's now. But if right, you think right, exactly. Before, see, the one and done was the biggest thing that hit the high major level or power five conferences. Because now you, if you recruit one of the five-star player, you can lose him in one year. And so each year you're rebuilding again and rebuilding again or retooling, if you want to call it. They don't rebuild, they retool. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> But the positive thing is that they could consistently bring in top-flight basketball players, and that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. You're absolutely correct. Do you think we'll ever see that kind of coaching longevity over a period of time like that and a program be so successful over a period of time ever again? Not at the Power Five Conference, not at the highest level. I mean, you'll see it at Division Two, and you'll see some at uh, mid-major, some. But everybody is so in a hurry to see success. You know, even at, like I said, the mid-major level, there's a few that are lasting a long time. But uh, what happens is they want you to get to the NCAA tournament. That makes their program now. So if you don't make it, then they're moving on to someone else. It's really a screwed up concept in their mind. You know, this whole thing started out that you wanted kids to graduate and have a successful life after this. Absolutely. Now it's not about that as much. It's about what visibility we can get and how fast we can get it. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. They want to win now, and so no one has patience anymore. No more. No more. So what are your thoughts on this upcoming basketball tournament in March Madness? There's some programs out there that look like they want to win it, and they've been at the top, and they've fallen here and there. Auburn is one of those. Gonzaga is another program. What are your thoughts on this upcoming college well, basketball? Well, it's, it's a flip of a coin again. I hate to say that. Last year, you kind of knew Baylor was on target. They just couldn't slip up. The positive thing about Baylor was they knew they could defend anyone. Mm. So when you can do that, you and I both know defense wins championships. you got a chance to win a championship. So it proved to that. Now you, everybody understands that concept. That's right. Everybody's trying to play defense now and going back to it again. But they're also staying with the offense. Right. That's one of the things they did. Maybe I'm going to say about six years ago or five years ago, they changed the concept of college basketball because they were concerned that they weren't scoring enough points. And it wasn't as entertaining, so they changed rules just for that. So a guy that would come in mentally concentrating on defense didn't matter. If you don't score 80 points, well, you know, we got to get someone else in here. That's right. But right now, I'm going to say this. It's not their best team, but it's their first real chance to win a national title, and that's Gonzaga. Yeah, that was going to lead me to my next question. I was going to ask you, is this the year that Gonzaga wins it all? <laughs> yeah, this is their chance. And the freshman they have, he's very thin. I mean, he only weighs, I think, 175 pounds, but he's seven foot. Right. And he's as mobile. He can do many things. And he's really a good basketball player. And I think he's a one and done. And they got a chance with Timmy coming back for another year they got a chance to do something. If it is, it's this year. Now, I'm a believer. Now, here's my key in this, Jason. I'm a believer you win with great guards. You can have all the big guys you want, but if you don't have great guards, you don't have a chance in this business. And so 
I think they got good guards. I don't think they have great guards. But they got other players, so this is a chance for them. Okay, if Gonzaga doesn't win, who do you think does win it? <laughs> Ooh, boy, that's a touch and go. You know, Auburn is not bad, but they're inconsistent at times with the guards. So I don't know, but they're not bad. Auburn's got a great chance. The one I thought at the beginning of the year was Purdue, but they've since then really struggled a little bit in certain games. And it may be because the Big Ten have one of their better all-around season. Right. So that may be the case. But there's another team that's sneaking in the background, and you got to watch out for them, and that's Arizona. They've played great this year, and I think he's the assistant from Gonzaga. Okay. Uh, and I'm not sure, but I think he's the assistant from Gonzaga, and he's taking that team to another level. Yeah, they, I think you're right. They have been sneaky. Uh, I didn't expect them to be doing as well as they have this year, but they've been up to the top, if not number one, for once or two weeks. So they have been pretty good this year. Well, let me give you this. This is the first year the top four teams are coming out of the West. And the West haven't won it in a long, long time. That's right. I don't know how many years they haven't won it since, but you got all the East teams, the Big East teams, and you uh, have Villanova who's won it, and, and now you, you had a South team that won it last year. But the West, I don't think I've won in the last six or seven years. Well, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a very interesting tournament to watch, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yes, it Just is. Just like every other year. Well, now I'm going to the Final Four, so I'm going to get a chance to see it right firsthand. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to get a little bit into this uh, NCAA eligibility requirement. So in February, they had that meeting, and Division One and Division Two decided to extend the initial eligibility requirements for student-athletes. So basically, high school student-athletes will be eligible if they have at least a 2.3 GPA and uh, 16 NCAA-approved courses, with 10 of those core courses completed by the start of their seventh semester, their senior year. Division two is very similar to Division one, except the only difference is their GPA is a 2.2 versus a 2.3. Mm-hmm. Is that a good or fair decision for the student athletes and for the schools? Well, it gives other people opportunities. I'm going to say that. See, I'm, I've always been a believer, and just my assessment, Jason, is that uh, it's not about your GPA, your grade point. Some people are just naturally brighter than others, and they can do well on tests. Some struggle at that. Mm-hmm. But the key is, are they giving you their best? Are they putting in the extra to have success? If they are, and they're still just at a 2-2 a or a 2-3, that's okay. The biggest issue is, are they graduating? Are they going to college and graduating? Absolutely. And that is my concern, because I want to make sure you're not just putting people in there because all of a sudden you want to win you want to win some more games, right. and you're looking for the best athlete, and they can't make it in the classroom. Because one of the things I also believe is in competition. So if they don't have the abilities or or the academic level and they're competing against all the kids in their classroom with the level, it'll stand out and it'll be very difficult for that person to succeed. Absolutely. And not only that, it's going to be tough for them to succeed in life as well. Because we both know that chances of making it to the next level, regardless of what your sport is, is very slim. So as you mentioned, they need to get that education and be successful in life as well. And they need the education. And the reason why I say that, Jason, it's kind of related to my next book coming out. And it should be out within a year. It's called Coaching Millennials from a Character Perspective. So I'm studying the millennial group and and also Generation Z. And one of the things in both generations, see, millennials and Generation Z are, you can call, 
cousins. They're connected. Okay. Some people call Generation Z extended millennials. They've got a lot of similarities, but they're different in many stages. However, one of the things that they both really question is, do you have to go to college? Hmm. Interesting. You don't need a college degree to be successful in life. That's what both feel in general. So that's a concern. And I'm still in belief, the more education you get, the better you're going to become in life in whatever you do. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. But that's very interesting with that thought. Do you, so do you think that thought is what kind of drives this NCAA decision? I know a lot of the people who are making the decision are generation or two older, but yeah. they're dealing with kids in that younger age group. So do you think that's kind of driving this decision a little bit? I think it has something to do with it. Think about it. The biggest issues they have with both of these generations are the parents. Right. So, and the parents and, and their uh, interaction within their child's growth and development. So they got to deal with them and they got to deal with the kid now. And the kid has been taught from the parents. So these are the things that you deal with. It's really uh, something that you really have to look at and you have to make sure that the kids are on the right track. Gotcha. So what do you see as the short and long-term ramifications of this decision? Well, like when they brought in Proposition 48 and all of them, it took a while for you really seeing the impact it made. Because, you know, now the graduation rate went up extensively mm -hmm. from that. And more people were allowed to go to college and succeed. Now let's see what happens with this. Again, I'm going to tell you the indicator that you need to watch for is the graduation rates. Okay. Because just getting you into college is one thing. Now you got to make sure you complete the task. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to switch gears a little bit here. We're a little over two weeks past Black History Month, <laughs> but it's never too late to learn about black history. Right, right, right. So recently you went to a predominantly white high school in Michigan, and you talked to those students about black history. Talk about that experience. Yes, it was on Martin Luther King Day, and I went uh, to Spring Lake High School in Spring Lake, Michigan. That's near Grand Haven, not far from Muskegon, Michigan. And Spring Lake High School is predominantly white, as you indicated. I'm going to be honest with you. No more than five, probably six black people in that institution. <laughs> okay. So I went there, and they called me in because of, number one, I had a relationship with a couple of people there, but also they had read my book. And they wanted to see the correlation between Martin Luther King character and a project that they have developed. And it's one of the most amazing projects I've ever seen, Jason. It has gone viral and many schools in the state of Michigan have adopted it along with the University of Michigan has adopted it. And it's called a Chalkboard Project. Okay. Okay. And what actually happens is each kid in the school, and they got about 850 kids there. When I spoke to them, I spoke to almost a thousand people and they give each one this chalkboard. Okay. And it's about a size of a paper, eight and a half by 11 size sheet of paper. The chalkboard is that size. And on that chalkboard, they literally write a word that someone calls them a negative word. Okay. Just imagine this. Every kid in the school got a chalkboard and this is what people are calling them. And I mean, words you would think, why would someone say something like and what they ended up doing is they took a picture of the kid with the word. The picture ended up being about like three by five or three by four size. It was a pretty large size. And they put them throughout the entire school. And they did this for 10 days. So 10 days prior to Martin Luther King Day, they did this. And they put them up so the kids could see what you're calling other kids. Okay, negative wording. So uh, at the Martin Luther King Day, I came in 
was the guest speaker and spoke to everyone and, and spoke to the entire group and connected both Martin Luther King and uh, character as well as the chalkboard project. Then at the end of it, we went into the gymnasium and some other people spoke to him and everything else. Now you're talking about 850 kids now. Then when it ended, all 850 kids went out into the hallways and they wrote a, a new word because they put a covering over that word. And they wrote a new word that said something positive about them. So you can imagine many kids had about 10, 15 positive words said about them. And it made them just feel great. I mean, it was impactful. It was powerful. I've seen kids crying and everything else. Awesome. Now, how did they receive your speech? They really enjoyed it because they got a chance to feel what society is all about during that time. So what I did was, just to give you a little idea, I did a PowerPoint presentation, but before that, I played a, uh, a record, okay? And the record was Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? So they got a chance to understand that time period. And that was my whole purpose, so they could understand what Martin Luther King went through during that time period. Right. And with the picture, because you could get it from the computer, and they also had, that was the sound bite, but they also had a video connected with it. And the video connected with it was about what's happening today. And it talked about the Flint issue with the water. It talks about all the negative things that has happened. You know, it talked about the Floyd case. And, and they didn't talk about it. It showed it. And many of these kids seen things they hadn't seen before. Right. And when they seen all that afterwards, they came and they really talked to me and said, man, there's things going on in our society today that are similar to what went on back then. So it was a great connection with the kids. Very enlightening, correct? Yeah, very, very, very. And it went well, and I thought the kids really enjoyed it. Awesome, awesome. So in that same vein, finally, what advice would you give athletes of all races when it comes to black history and moving forward in their academic and athletic careers? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I can give them is you need to respect other people. And the big word is respect, because we have lost respect for certain things. And what ends up happening is we end up saying, like they have on the chalkboard project, negative things about other people, treating people differently. Absolutely. And not caring. And one of the things I, I brought in my speech was about how God talks about uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And I explained to them the importance of love. And we talked about all that. And we also talked about what do you love? We talked about in, in our society today, many people don't love God. Absolutely. They love other things like social media. They love that more than they love God. Like fame and fortune, they love that more than love God. And that's our, our society that's creating this environment. In the Western civilization, that's what we care more about. Right. And I tried to talk to them about that, and they, they really accepted it. Well, you talked about God, and so there's two words that come to mind when you talk about the Bible, is wisdom and knowledge. And this is part of the, the show where I thank you for coming on and parting your wisdom and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and talk about every time I talk to you, like I said in the beginning, I get wisdom and knowledge. As I was growing up, I was always taught to respect your elders. You know, they have wisdom, they have experience, they have knowledge, and when your elders are talking to you, you listen. Right. Because you can learn things. And so every time I talk to you, I feel like I learned something. I feel like I know, I know more than I knew before. So I really want to thank you for your wisdom, for your knowledge. And you and I, we could talk sports all day long. We can sit and talk sports. Yes. But more than that, I feel that I can sit and talk life with you. What? And that's one thing about your book, 10 Principles of a Character Coach. And I think that's something that everyone should go and read. 
is not about sports or just only about sports. It's about life. Right. And when I talk to you, and that's why I love having you on the show, is because I learn not only something about sports, but I learn about life as well. And so I want to thank you for your wisdom and for your knowledge, because I feel like each and every time I talk to you, I'm much, much smarter. Let me give you one more wisdom thing, Jason. Whatever Before it is, I'm ready it. to listen. <laughs> well, in my next book, I make a comment, and there's a phrase I say, you don't have to lose to learn. And the whole purpose of that phrase is to let the generation understand that they should listen to other generations that have gone before them and get a better understanding of what society is all about so they don't make major mistakes in life. So they don't have to lose something to learn. All they have to do is listen. Right. You're absolutely correct. And again, as I've said, I've always been taught to listen because you learn so much from those who have gone before you. And that's something that we talked about a little bit about before the last time I had you on the show is as each and every year goes on and passes on, we get further and further away from those like Martin Luther King and, and others who have tried to teach us and impart their wisdom upon us. Yes. And it's great when someone as yourself who is connected to that era, but yet also connected to this generation, you can kind of connect it to impart that wisdom and impart that knowledge on those of us who weren't part of that situation or part of that time period. And it's always grateful to talk to you. Well, I tell you, it's great for me today because I have grandchildren and my grandchildren, they educate me more than anything. And in writing my book, I kind of dedicated it to my grandchildren because they were millennials or generation X's. Mm -hmm. I have a nickname for them. I call them the grand millennials. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's important that you listen. Here's, here's something I'm going to add to that, Jason. Not only that they listen, it's important that we listen to them and find out where they're coming from so we can help them be successful in life and move forward. Absolutely. Communication is a two-way street. Right. Well, Coach Water, this is your home away from home, so you're more than welcome back on this show anytime you want. And certainly when that new book comes out, I want to have you on and we want to talk about that and, and dive into that. Yes, definitely. And anytime you need me, I'm here. When you're in retirement, you you got a lot of free time on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Coach Waters. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Once again, I'd like to thank Coach Waters for joining the show. So what are the three takeaways from today's episode? Number one, being successful away from the playing field is just as important as on the field. Number two, education matters. And number three, love and respect others as you do yourself. That concludes episode number 32. If you enjoy this episode, I ask that you share it with a friend. If you enjoy this podcast, I ask that you subscribe. Please tune in for the next episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.